Would you grab your Bibles, John 15? So last week we talked about uh, the way the world hates Christ and his people in 18 through 25. And, and then in 16, 1 through 4, Jesus speaks. He's going to come back to that next week. And in between those two, he gives the help that we need in that kind of setting. So we're going to read 26 and 27, John 15. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So I want to talk today about the Holy Spirit's unique presence and work in our lives within the context of what we are looking at today in regard to persecution, the world's perspective of Christ, the world's perspective um, of followers of Jesus as well. So the church has always had this great role of having the greatest task of testifying to the glory of Christ to a world that is against Christ and against his people. Now God accomplishes this through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit through Christ followers. So for the last 2,000 years, people all over the world who have alive hearts have opened their mouth and they have told people about the transformation that has happened in their life because of faith in Jesus Christ. And so last week, we carefully examined that even though the world has a great hatred of Christ, this should not and has not stopped the church in every generation from proclaiming the truth about who Christ is. This is a theme that goes through many of the gospel writers. Peter wrote about this theme as well, about this role that we have as the church of proclaiming the glory of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. For this reason, God has made us, and he says this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Peter giving this affirmation that the role of the people of God is to proclaim the excellencies, the treasure that is found in Christ. And then later Paul will write to a maturing pastor in the city of Ephesus, Timothy, and he will say these words to him in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, the saying is, Absolutely trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Don't just get 80% of this, but embrace all of this, Timothy. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So in the setting, in the context of a world being antagonistic to the gospel, being antagonistic to God and God's people, how do you and I live in a way that can withstand at times the onslaught that has been given to the church and people of God? Well, what we need is the ministry of the third person of the Trinity, and that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is what empowers us to maintain our focus and to continue to pursue God. Now, I want to take you back to history a long time ago. Um, these two verses that we're looking at today caused a huge division in the church a long time ago. There was an 
what eventually became an Eastern church and a Western church. We've been a part of the history of the Western church. The Eastern church moved that direction, moved to the Eastern part of the world. And one of the big controversies that led to this division was this verse in 26 and 27. The Eastern church um, began to teach that this, this text here, that when Jesus says, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, they began to teach and share some things that diminished Jesus and began to diminish and create a division um, or, a, or a stronger unity between the Father and the Spirit and a lesser unity with Jesus. The leaders of the Western Church said, no, we cannot do this. Um, this is all three persons of the Trinity or all God. There's a unity um, in their connection with one another. And so what eventually happened is what we know today as the Nicene Creed. There was a council of Nicaea. And one of the things that they dealt with was this controversy that came out of um, John 15, 26, and 27. And, and let me read to you the section that they added to the Nicene Creed um, in regard to this. They wrote, And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Eastern Church has said, No, um, He only proceeds from the Father. He doesn't have really anything to do as much with the Son. But the Western Church said, No, that's not the case. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son, the Western Church affirmed that the Holy Spirit was to be worshipped and glorified. And so they wrote in there, and with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified. And then they wrote the statement, He, the Spirit, spoke through the apostles. So these are important words. They actually had a great division. And I'll say this, the Eastern Church has not had much influence. It is the Western Church that has had the majority of the influence in regard to missions and, and right doctrine. And uh, Eastern Church has been much more ritualistic in, in nature. And so um, it, it, just another reminder to us that we need to get doctrine right. And we need to make sure that, that we are understanding what is actually taught. And even if we have to wrestle with things, we want to wrestle with them to get to the place where we line up with what Jesus was meaning and uh, what the church has historically taught. So context is everything, always, when we read the Scripture. So our context today, even though it's about the Holy Spirit, is still in the context of persecution. So 18 through 25, all about the world's hatred of Christ, hatred of God's people, the world. If we were of the world, um, Jesus said last week, the world would love us as its own, but because we are called out of the world and we are not of the world, then the world doesn't accept us and it pushes back against us. And so then Jesus, again, I want you to keep in mind, they are walking. They're walking from the upper room. They're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. As they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is teaching things. And so he's communicating these things. And can you imagine what it must have been like for them? Hey, man, you've been with me for three years. Let me tell you what it's going to be like. Hey, um, the world's going to hate you, but keep in mind that it's hated me first, and these things are going to come. But I've got great news to you that in the midst of the persecution and the struggle and the pushback that you're going to have, you have a helper who's going to be a part of your life, and he's going to help you maintain your focus and, and continue as you continue in your pursuit of knowing God. And so there are two bookends of persecution in the context of reading John's gospel, 18 through 25, and then next week, 16, 1 through 4. And so right smack dab in the middle of that 
He gives the answer that you and I need to maintain our focus to proclaim the gospel regardless of culture. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about the idea that the Holy Spirit, first of all, is our helper. And so I'm going to break up the sentences. There's just two verses here, but they are full of very important phrases and words that we need to look at. So I just want to look at the first part of verse 26. But when the helper, and I want to stop there, but when the helper. This is not anything new that Jesus has not already spoken to them. On this night, in, back in John 14, 16, and in John 14, 26, he has already used the phrase referring to the Holy Spirit, the helper. Now, I don't know about you, but every word of God is very important. But the repetitive words of God are really important. There's a reason Jesus is saying certain things over and over. Now, <clears throat> before the Jews entered into the promised land, Moses gathered them together and and we have this book called Deuteronomy. In the Hebrew, the word deuto, deutero means second time. It's a repeating. He's repeating the law a second time to them. That's what Deuteronomy is about. Is this one more time Moses has given them the law before they go in because they needed to hear it again and needed to, it to be repeated. And so he said these words to them in Deuteronomy 8.3. And he humbled you. This is Moses speaking, and he let you hunger <clears throat> and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So if every word is important, it comes from the mouth of the Lord, I guarantee you the repetitive words of the Lord are really, really important for us to settle our mind on and our life on and to walk in those and so in john 14 16 once you just turn back there it's just one chapter jesus says in 14 16 and i will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever 14 26 but the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So now this is the third time in 26, but 1526, but when the helper. Let me give you a definition of the helper so we can understand. In the Greek, this word means helper, comforter. It's a Greek word called paraclete. It means one who is called to be alongside someone, to give aid to them, and to help them in any kind of way especially we need the Spirit in a world that is hostile toward the gospel of Christ. So think about this for a moment. So Christ goes away. He has this great promise. The Spirit is going to come. He's going to be right beside you to aid you and to help you with everything that you need for your faith. What do we need help with? All kinds of reasons. Physical, emotional pain. We need help if persecution is to ever come. We need help when we are weak and we need strength. We need help in our relationships. We need help in our parenting, in our marriages. We need help all the time. And the Spirit does this great work as the one who comes alongside us to aid us and to help us. 
But particularly this morning, the context is in regard to living in a hostile world, hostile cultures toward Christianity. So he's going to use the word witness when we get to verse 27. This is a Greek courtroom word that describes someone on a witness stand being asked questions and being examined and evidence is being given in regard to the person on the stand. So in this context, the disciples of Christ in the world, in a culture that is against them, we are witnesses. We are put on a stand to give good evidence or bad evidence in regard to the transforming work of Christ in the world. And the Spirit is active at helping us to be the witnesses that we need to be. I mean, we know this. In our world today and in our culture today, Christians are under um, an ever greater scrutiny. Um, We are looked at in many different ways, and we need help, and we need comfort. We need perspective at times. We need power. We need the Spirit's leadership in a world that is greatly confused about what the truth is, about who Christ is. So in a world accusing Christ and hating Christ and accusing His followers, the Holy Spirit comes to be at work to aid us to be the witnesses that we need to be. So let's look at the second thing. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is just to remind us that we have a helper. Is that not great this morning? We have a helper. Um, Have you looked at yourself in the mirror lately and done a life examination? Not whether your hair is in place, but is your strength enough to address the issues that arise in our lives? And what do we find out? No, we're empty in and of ourselves. But we have a helper who dwells in us to aid us to become the people of God God has designed. So I just want to talk about one word on the second point, okay? If that's all right, everybody. Um, So the first one, we have a helper. The second thing is the word, this helper, but when the helper comes. And I want to talk about the word comes. And I want to talk about how significant this is and how dynamic this word is. So as Christ came to be near to reveal the glory of the Father, Jesus goes away in the sins and sits at the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit is sent to do this great role, to reveal the glory of Jesus. So Jesus came to reveal the glory of the Father. The Spirit comes to reveal the glory of Christ and the glory of the Son. And Jesus will mention that here, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. So the Spirit comes near to us in our lives in moments of temptation, in moments of whatever the case may be, to empower us to walk in line with the truth of the gospel and to speak about the truth of the gospel in the world. Now let me remind all of us some important things about the Holy Spirit. He is not an entity. This is not a Hollywood movie that he's just this force that's out there. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a member of the Godhead, very important. He's not just some force. He's not an entity. A force cannot testify to the truth of the gospel. A force cannot indwell every believer. Just think about this for a moment. Right now, people are coming to faith in Christ right now all over the world. And immediately at their salvation, the Spirit is indwelling those believers. An entity cannot do that. 
But the Spirit, because He is God and He's present everywhere, can immediately indwell believers. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about some nebulous thing. We're talking about one that we can relate to. We're talking about one where Paul talks about that there are times in our life in Romans 8 that we don't even know what to pray. We can't even find the words to pray. You know what the Spirit does? The Spirit goes before the Father with groans, Paul says, to pray for us on our behalf. So the Spirit is deeply, deeply personal and deeply, deeply helpful in our lives. So in our world, we know this, the Scripture teaches us and affirms this over and over, that the world is contrary to Christ in every kind of way. So I'm going to remind us of something that John wrote later. In 1 John 2, 15 through 17, listen to these words from John. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, its system, its ways, which are against God, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And then listen to what John says. And the world and its system is passing away. It's not going to last. It's not eternal. It is temporary. It is not going to last. And the world is passing away and along with its desires. But listen to the great hope. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And the Spirit is the one who is a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance. And He is the one who comes alongside to aid us and to help us in whatever is needed. And He is the one who is ever present in our lives. There will be a moment this week that we'll have a moment possibly or the next couple weeks where we're not going to know what to do. And I tell you, the Spirit, the ever-present one, is there to aid us and to help us. And He will nudge us toward Christ. He will bring to our remembrance Scripture about the glory of Jesus. And He will move us to be in line with Christ. I remind us as well that the world lies in the hand of the evil one who is a liar, but who is a defeated one. Our Lord is victorious. Satan has been defeated. And Satan will continue to be this until he can't do this anymore and he is thrown into the lake of fire. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is so good. You know temptation. Oh, go there, do that, say this, look at that. And he will encourage us to walk down a path. And then when we get there, we make that decision. And then he flips it and says, ah, you're a Christian. Why would a Christian ever do something like that? And he's this great accuser. He's this great condemner. But I have some good news. This will not. He's defeated. I want you to listen to these words. John, same John that we're reading about here. He's been exiled, persecuted. He's on the Isle of Patmos. And he has a revelation of Jesus. In a Revelation 12, 10, listen to what John writes. Can you imagine hearing this? John says, I heard a loud voice in heaven. 
And he knew where it was coming from. It was a heavenly voice and it was loud. And this is what the voice said. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Please observe that Satan is a defeated one and Christ is the victor. And so you and I stand in the realm of the undefeated one, the one who has destroyed the grave, who has made the way, who has opened the door for us to have faith. And he has made a way for us to be great proclaimers of the glory of who he is. And it's in this great reality of persecution and struggle that comes in our life that the Spirit comes to aid Christ's followers when we live in a culture that has this great malevolence toward truth. And this is not going to change. It has been this way from the beginning. This reality of the world's perspective of our faith and of our Lord. Now I want to pause just for a moment before we move on to point three. And I want to talk about what we have experienced growing up in this country. What a great place that we live in. The freedoms that we um, still have, even though that there are so many difficult things going on around us. I've been thinking about my life and not necessarily your life as much, but just kind of personal examine in my life and putting it up next to the men and women that I read in the scripture. I look at Jesus's life. Um, there was, from John 5 on, Jesus only experienced, for the most part, antagonism from the religious leaders. You read the book of Acts. Um, the Jewish and religious leaders um, gave great persecution to the early church. It eventually happened that way. You go deeper into the book of Acts as the gospel goes west and goes to Asia Minor and begins to happen there. There's great persecution that's there. We know that under Nero, probably Peter and Paul are Peter crucified upside down and Paul beheaded. And we see this consistent thing throughout history. You read history. Even you go back to the uh, the 16th century and you go back to the 1500s. Um, during the Reformation, that was a great, great battle that took place that believers stood for. So throughout the history of the church, the church has, for the most part, been birthed into a place where there's great antagonism against the church. What you and I have grown up in, not, not a one of us this morning, not a one of us this morning, if you did grow up, or you did wake up this morning and you thought this, we're going we're gonna to have a little meeting after church today. Not a one of us woke up today and thought about how do I need to secretly come to life point together to meet with God's people because of the danger that's on my life? And for the most part, again, we are seeing the shrinking of some of the privileges we've had, but not anywhere compared to what the majority of people throughout history have had to experience. And so I just want to remind us, it may come stronger here. It very well may come, and it may not come here Um, None of us knows the future, but I do know this, that if it comes to where it really, really is costly to be a believer in America, I have great news this morning. There is a helper who came. 
And you know what he will do? He will sustain us as he has sustained millions and millions of people who have walked this path before us. So sometimes we can get caught up and, and feel like it's defeated. My God reigns. Does yours? Mine does. And he says that he sent a helper who came to be with us. And so I have great joy this morning in that reality that no matter what it comes, because the Spirit is in me, I'm okay, and you will be okay as well. Let's look at the third thing, and we'll just briefly touch on this one. I touched on it a while ago. It's the third part of verse 26. The Holy Spirit is sent from Jesus and the Father to us. So three things here. Look, look at the, the third part of 26. Whom I will send to you from the Father who proceeds from the Father. So Jesus is saying to them, again, as they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas is going to meet them shortly. It's going to begin to really unravel the comfort that they've known for the most part. is going to unravel. They're going to all flee later on this night. They will go and they will run away. But he's telling them, I want you to know this, man, in the midst of a hostile culture, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send the Spirit to be with you. So Jesus sends the Spirit. So the glorified Son of God, seated at the right hand of the Father, sends the Holy Spirit to the earth. Now I want to take just a moment and show you just for a moment why this is important, why the Eastern Western Church fought over this important truth and why it's important for us to decide on this side of things in regard to this. It is really important that we do not separate the unity and the oneness of our God too much. Now, each person of the Trinity has unique roles. They are unique persons, but this is one God. They have one function in regard to work, the work of salvation. And the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are to get the great glory. But the Eastern Church was trying to separate in their statement and their teaching to put more emphasis on the Father and the Spirit and less emphasis on Jesus. And again, the Western Church said, no, we, we, we are going to put all the emphasis on all three of them. And I'm going to give you four verses <clears throat> that you may not ever notice before that affirms the Spirit's unity with the Son. So if you're taking notes, you can write these down and then you can listen. Um, this is Romans 8, verse 9. This is an affirmation of the oneness of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. Here's what Paul writes in Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So he says, this is a salvation text here. So you're no longer in the flesh. You've been born again. You are in the Spirit. If, in fact, listen to this. This is a Trinitarian verse as well. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So the first part of Romans 8, 9 he speaks about um, uh, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. In the Greek, it's capital S. This is the reference to the Holy Spirit. Then he says this, if in fact the Spirit of God, most of the time when you see the word God that's mentioned there is a reference toward the Father. Most of the time, not necessarily all the time. So listen to what Paul's saying. 
You, however, are not in the flesh. You are in the Holy Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of the Father dwells in you. And now listen to what he says here. Here's the unity of the Son and the Spirit. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In the Greek, Spirit is capitalized, referring to the Holy Spirit in Christ, referring to Jesus. So here's Paul revealing the unity of the Spirit and the Son. Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God, referring to the Father, the Father has sent, listen to this, the Spirit, capitalized in the Greek, the Spirit, Holy Spirit. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Again, clear unity of the Spirit and the Son. How about one more? Philippians 1.19. For I know that through your prayers, and I love the way he phrases it here, and with the help of the Spirit, capitalized, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Notice that Paul says, He's not dividing the Spirit and the Son. Though they are two unique persons, there is a oneness in their work. I'm going to share one more. Is that all right? Everybody okay with one more? I'll give you this, this affirmation. This is 1 Peter 1.11. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit, capitalized, of Christ in them, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. All of those verses, as well as what Jesus is teaching here, affirm not a division among the Trinity, but a unity among the Trinity, including a unity of the Son and the Spirit. This is why the Eastern Church got this wrong. And it's why in many ways I think their influence was off because their theology and their doctrine got off so jesus says the holy spirit is sent from jesus sent by jesus sent from the father jesus says whom i will send to you from the father who proceeds from the father all of this affirmation are you all with me see that very very important you get doctrine wrong you will get a lot of things wrong you will begin to really drift and so so jesus on this night is affirming this reality of not the division so let's go to the fourth thing The Holy Spirit bears testimony of Jesus. When Jesus was here, he was the personal voice of God in the midst of the people. So when he left in his ascension, and as the Spirit came, the Spirit would continue the ministry of Jesus on a greater scale in regard to now in every believer, the Spirit of God is now living inside them. We talked about this in John 14. Let me remind us. Do you remember when Jesus said, greater things than these you will do because I go to the Father? Now, I've never met anybody who's done anything more than Jesus individually. Read the Gospels. He did some pretty astounding things. So since Jesus only tells the truth, what in the world does he mean? That we will do greater things than him. Well, when he was here on this planet, you could only go to Israel, 
to see him and to hear him and to see the great work that he did. He'd be in a city. He would preach. They would bring lame people, blind people. He would touch them. He would heal them. And a powerful work happened and took place. Not just that, but his teaching, his proclamation of the gospel was pretty profound in the places that he went within Israel. So what does Jesus mean that when he goes away that we will do things even greater than him? It means this. This is what he meant. He was only one person when he was here in one city, in one time, in one moment of time. But when he went away and he sent the Spirit, this is so, this is so great. So yesterday our Nepali brothers and sisters met. They meet on Saturdays. Today believers over most of the world met today on Sundays or meeting today or they've already met. Everywhere believers met, there was a proclamation, a testimony about Jesus. We are doing a greater work today than Jesus did when he was here. Because again, he was just in one place proclaiming. And how powerful is that? That all over the world today, in closed cultures, there's Christians. And it's costly for them to talk about Jesus, but they talk about him. And they share with neighbors. They share with family members. And so this reality is that we are to bear witness about Jesus. And this is the great work of the Spirit. Jesus has some pretty profound witnesses of who he is. Let me remind us of the importance of this. And so I like this sermon I put the sermon together. I think it's a good sermon. But what I'm about to say is the most important piece of what I'm sharing this morning. Jesus had the great affirmation of his father at his baptism, at his transfiguration in Matthew 17, and in John chapter 12 with the Greeks. So the father affirmed the son. Listen to my son. Listen to my son. But I want to talk mainly now, about the role of the Holy Spirit in his proclamation of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer. Please nod your head like this. Don't nod your head like this, okay? All right? Okay, Matt? Okay, all right. Are we in agreement that Christ is the living incarnate Word of God? Are we in agreement about that? Okay. So I want you to think about this with me. If the Spirit's great role, according to Jesus, is that when the Spirit came, He will bear witness about me, Jesus said. He will bear witness about Jesus. There has never been a time, never been a moment, that He led any of the Gospel writers and the New Testament letter writers to write anything contrary to the nature of Jesus. Everything the Spirit does lines up with the glory of Jesus. Why? Because the Spirit's role is to bear witness about the nature and the glory of Jesus. And so there's not anything. Every single thing the Spirit does is fully in line with every testimony of the eternal divine nature of Jesus. He reveals to us and tells us at every turn, what is in line with Scripture. 
That means that if anybody teaches something that is not consistent with the Bible's revelation of Jesus, then guess what? The Holy Spirit is not a part of that teaching. Not a part of that teaching. Because there's never anything that he's going to do that would contradict the nature and the glory of Christ or contradict something that he had already led people to write down. And one of the great troubling issues around us is that there are things being said that add to the gospel or diminish who Christ is according to the scripture. And again, the spirit has nothing to do with any of that. He testifies to of Jesus in everything he does in the world. He proclaims Jesus. Somebody is born again. They are born again by who? The Spirit. The Spirit at that moment indwells that person. And it happens because the Father sent the Spirit. The Father sent the Son. There's unity in the work of God in our salvation. And so the Spirit is about this great work. This great work of testifying of Jesus in every single thing that he does in the world. He does this in two ways. One, he speaks. The Spirit speaks. And two, the Spirit speaks through the Word of God. So let me give you two scripture examples of this. The Spirit speaks. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, Paul writes... Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. So the Spirit speaks. Secondly, the Spirit speaks through God's Word. And this is where I want to spend just a moment of time. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. This is really important. 2 Peter 1, 21. No prophecy, no revelation, no speaking about God was ever, ever, ever produced by the will of man. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So how was it produced? But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What you and I know of Jesus has come to us, how? Through the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit, through His divine knowledge. So let me throw out this question. Who knows Jesus best? The Father and the Son. So as the, excuse me, not the Father and the Son, the Father and the Spirit. So as the Spirit moved men to write the Scripture, He was moving in them to write accurately in regard to who the Spirit knows the Son is. So note this. Why can we rely on this? Why can we have confidence in this book that we hold in our lap or in a tablet this morning? How do we know we have confidence in this? Two very important reasons, according to Peter. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here's the first reason. They spoke from God. Their source was not man. So as they, as prophet Hosea spoke, 
He spoke from God. These are not Hosea's words. As Peter preached, as the Spirit spoke through the preaching of the gospel, and he moved, and the Spirit still doing that now today, as we preach the Word of God, the Spirit speaks and the Spirit moves. Men spoke from God. This word produced here. The source of the Scripture is not man. It has never been man. The source of the Scripture is God Himself. And so the sacred Scriptures are not written grounded in the words of man. The foundation of the Scriptures are not men writing words and the Spirit coming along later and going, I'll kind of blow onto that and I'll make that in the Bible. That's not what he said. The original source, Peter says there, is that the words came from God. And so as they wrote, They were writing the original words of God. The authors were just simply vessels through whom the sacred words came. Listen, they wrote and spoke from God. Well, is there another way to back that up a little bit? Yeah, Peter says it this way. But men spoke from God. Listen how important it is. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. He was moving them to write what they wrote. Now, I don't think that they ever were in a trance, not one of those kind of things. I think that God is so personal that he came upon Peter, and as he was writing, the words were being revealed, and he was writing the truth of Scripture. So what they wrote, they wrote under the full leadership of the Spirit. It was controlled and directed entirely by the Holy Spirit. And he moved to carry all of the words to God's desired completion. That's very important because that has everything to do with what Jesus is saying here. Now on June the 17th, 27th, excuse me, in 1819, So for the last 1,800 years, there had never been a Christ follower among the Burmese people. A guy named Adoniram Johnson and his wife went to the Burmese people and they began to share the gospel. They learned the language, got it translated into the people. His first convert was a man named Maung Nau. That was the first convert among the Burmese people. A few days later, um, Adoniram Johnson's wife was meeting with him and they were reading scripture. And this is what she wrote of the encounter. A few days ago, I was reading with him Christ's Sermon on the Mount. He was deeply impressed and unusually solemn. He paused and he said these words. Take hold of my liver. And make me tremble. I thought about me. I thought about you. If all of this is true, and by the way, it's not if, it is true. If what we hold in our laps this morning are words that God spoke and He moved people along in the movement of the Holy Spirit so that you and I would know who God is. Why do we not tremble? 
Why is there not more trembling at the incredible wonder that our God speaks and he has revealed himself in words and we can know him. So as Jesus speaks about the Spirit, it is incumbent on us and is of the utmost priority in our lives that we affirm that the Spirit's great work is to testify about Jesus. And that includes in the writing of Scripture. So I'm preaching today and I'm using the words that I typed out on my MacBook and as I prayed and I've gone through them. And it's not my words. My words need to line up with God's word as best as possible. But there's no movement of God in this room today if this isn't the word of God. It's not any. My words can never be enough. But because this is inspired, and men spoke from God as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit, we have the greatest confidence this morning that no matter what comes, we have this great promise that we have a helper who comes beside us, whose one of his great roles is to reveal the truth of Scripture and to help us understand the truth of it. The Bible throughout the centuries has been grabbing hold of boys and girls. I prayed this morning that our kids when we went into their class and their kids, they laugh and cut up, but if you've taught kids, they listen more than sometimes they reveal they do. And I just prayed that, I know it sounds silly, but I prayed today that at least with one of them, that God would take hold of their liver and make them tremble over the truth of his word. And I asked him in this room that he would do that in some of us. Because you know what happens often? Is sometimes we just hear these things and if we were honest, we're not always honest, we just sometimes go, I don't really care. But what if we cared? What if we realized that the sacred word that has come to us has come from the divine nature of the Holy Spirit. And we have the most precious thing that we could ever have. We have the word of God. And the word of God empowers us to testify and join the spirit as he proclaims the glory of Jesus. Everything is to be a witness of Jesus. Kids ministry, missions, finances, life groups, marriage. Read Ephesians 5 and the picture of marriage and the glory of Christ. If it is not about being a witness of Jesus, then what is the church doing? The Spirit's great work is the glory of Christ. Let's close with this. Look at 27. We won't take as long in 27 as we took with 26. There's a couple things here. The Holy Spirit unites us in his testimony of Jesus. 
And you also, Jesus said, will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So keep in mind the context of 26 and 27. It's bookended by hatred and persecution. But these men were going to need the Spirit's work as they testified. And they would join him in testifying. So you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So as we spoke earlier, the world is judging Jesus on the basis of those who are witnesses of the glory of Christ. And so our culture watches our lives. Your workplace watches your life. If you have an ichthus on the back of your, your car and you drive 30 miles over the speed limit, the world is watching you. Um, the world is always watching us. It's always watching us. And as they watch our lives, they're coming to all kinds of opinions and conclusions on what they see of us. And the best thing that we can give our world is to be filled with the Spirit, actively aware, walking, keeping in step with the Spirit. Satan, by the way, is the accuser of Jesus and the accuser of his people, and he's not going to stop. We do realize that, right? He is not going to stop that. He will continue, and so we are not going to stop either. We will continue to proclaim. Two other things as we finish. When I read the Gospels, sometimes I I laugh at the 12 that they just didn't seem to ever get it. And sometimes through the years, my laughter at them of like, okay, are they ever going to clue in? Are they ever going to clue in? Has led me to, unfortunately, sometimes attribute to them that maybe they were dumb. They weren't, you know. And I just want to remind us this morning that, yeah, they had a hard time. And by the way, we would have had a hard time. Can you imagine living with Jesus for three years and trying to process all the stuff that was happening in your midst? But here's what I want to say. These were not dumb men. They were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They saw his glory. And they are the ones whom the Holy Spirit moved to write the sacred scriptures that have come to us. Eyewitnesses. And it is wrong for churches, individuals, denominations to diminish the apostolic witness that has come to us. It's wrong. They spoke and wrote of what they saw and what they heard and we should trust it. They didn't write made-up stories. They wrote what they saw. Lastly, this morning, Paul wrote a second letter to this probably a little bit more mature pastor named Timothy. And he wrote these words to him in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 and following. He said, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, And by his appearing in his kingdom, you do this, Timothy, you preach the word. You be ready in season and out of season when people like it and people don't like it. You preach it. You reprove, you rebuke, you exhort, and you do so with patience and teaching. 
And here's why this is important. This is why we hear you as members of the church must hold the elders to this and we must hold you to this. We must stay true to the sacred scriptures. And here's why. Paul wrote this a long time ago about his generation. He said, there is a time coming, he says in verse 3, when people will not endure what we are listening to this morning. They will not listen to it. The time is coming when people not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This word endure means they will not stay around to hear it. And they will seek, instead of sitting under godly leaders who will tell the truth connected to the sacred scriptures where men spoke from God, God was the source and they were moved along by the the movement of the Spirit and they will seek out and they will sit under teachers that affirm sin and wink where people begin to just gather together to hear tall tales and things that aren't true. And so, what do we do? What's, what's needed? Well, I think Paul says it in the next verse to Timothy. And it's a question I want to ask all of us, and I've been asking myself this week. He says, so as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Where are the sober-minded today in the church? Where are the sober-minded who know God's word enough to discern the lies that are being told that are out there? And I could, I could tell story after story today of all the lies out in the culture. You know them. We see them on television. They're in our workplace. They're all around us. Where are the sober-minded? And who will be willing to endure suffering for the glory of Christ? Because there's coming a time when people won't endure the truth. And even in that midst, we have a helper who comes and aids us his great role is testifying about the glory of Jesus. We join him in his great role of testifying about the glory of Jesus. All right, let's pray.